Hi, it's Taylor. Quickly jumping in before the episode starts to let you know that we've changed our name and are now Sisters Assemble. You can find our updated social handles in the show notes. Enjoy the show! Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Let's Talk Marvel Fan Theories podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Katie, and we're two sisters and borderline obsessed Marvel fans who have been following the Marvel Cinematic Universe closely for years. And now we want to share our MCU discussions with you. We chat about our own predictions and theories, plus some of our favorites from online, and our reactions to all of the Marvel content that's considered MCU canon, including the Disney Plus shows and the movies, as well as the Marvel news you need to know. Alrighty, we have another Marvel Replay episode on tap for you guys, and since we are going in timeline order, anybody who's familiar with what that looks like knows that our next episode, or our next two movies within this episode, are Thor The Dark World and Iron Man 3, which is kind of an odd combination, but at the same time, it kind of makes sense. I think these are two of the movies that are the most directly related to the results of the Avengers, so in that way they're kind of related But I think up until this point, all of the others have kind of paired up really nicely. You had the two captains, you had the two Iron Men, then you had Thor and the Avengers, and they all kind of go really well. These two, other than being the direct result of the Avengers and kind of seeing the characters come out of that movie, don't really have that nice cohesion, and I think the next couple of sets won't. But it's still there's still some good movies in here, so I'm excited to to chat about them and analyze them a little bit. Katie, why don't you take it away with your first thoughts on The Dark World? Well, actually, oh, well, I watched them out of order then. <laughs> but I guess it doesn't really matter. <laughs> and so, yeah, I was like, wait a second, I definitely watched Iron Man 3 first. No, I just wanted to say, actually, you, you said something I was planning to say from the get-go, was also these movies are kind of awkward, because also, too, we're finishing up the Iron Man trilogy, while we're still waiting, technically, well, obviously, you know, you see Thor 2, and then we're still waiting for Cap 2, which is coming up. So it was a little weird that we were already finishing a trilogy while we were still working our way through the second of others. And then to your point, the only thing I think these two really had in common was, I mean, Thor especially is the direct result after Avengers. And we're not really sure where Tony's is exactly because it's mentioned obviously multiple times about New York and everything, but it's not really like, we don't really know exactly where we're at. I mean, New York didn't have a date and we know this is Christmas time, so we don't really know. But yeah, if we're going to start with these, I do have to say for the first time I had to write notes for this. Wow. I know, Look I at know. you being all scholarly. I know. Well, couple reasons i did have i was watching them periodically it wasn't one sitting so i wanted to make sure i wasn't forgetting things and two and for those of you who know i'm team cap the first part of this won't be surprising but i don't really watch the iron mans often (laughs) well i think i think we should take a step back i think we should start with the dark world because technically the dark world oh no i was getting there i was getting there okay i just want because you started you mentioned iron man so i just want to make sure we weren't going to go into iron man 3 first no 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 no. i was gonna say i watch the iron man's off or i don't watch the iron man's often and the first two thors kind of aren't it so i don't really watch that either (laughs) so i had to write notes but let me pull them out and let's get started loving with the level of preparedness that you came to this episode with today i'm just i'm type a to the max you and your little a or a k sticky notes i'm just i've never been prouder than of you as a sibling than i am right now i know i know i even accidentally ripped and had to retape one of my sticky notes (laughs) but like i said let's get let's get started with this so thor the dark world i think Watching it again, I know Thor The Dark World gets some really bad rep. And I don't think it's as bad as everyone says. I don't think it's it's great in the sense of just the storyline. When you really take a step back, you're kind of like, hmm, okay. I'm confused. And, like, yeah. I still don't get it. I also think, you know, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but, you know, you're touching on some things that I rewatched this movie over the summer. And I was like... You know, Thor the Dark World, it isn't that bad. And then I rewatched it again, and I still don't think it's, like, as horrible as people make it out to seem. You know, I think people really like to rag on this one in particular. I agree. But I will say I 
was maybe a little more critical this time and was infinitely more confused, one. And two, I had to go back when Odin is explaining the origins of the ether. I had to go back and I was like, hold up, hold because I was like shoving food in my face. So I was like distracted by the food also. But I was like, this doesn't make sense. The dark elves created an okay. infinity stone. I literally, ha- I, that's amazing that you asked that on my notes. And I quote, so the dark elves made the stones? Question mark. <laughs> we might need to stop hanging out so much. Ironically, we really don't anymore. <laughs> that's but, true. No, I, yes. <laughs> that's all I have to say. Because the issue I was having was, yes, the stone issue. And I think if you really take out the ether, like the only part of this film was to introduce it. And that was very obvious. Like, the Tesseract was written into so many timelines and was so perfectly just kind of brought in. And I feel like almost every other stone was as well. Versus the Aether just kind of was like, we need an excuse to bring this one up. And here it is. My other thing about it that really bothered me is, like, the Aether is the reality stone, right? Yeah. This made me question that. Because at no point does it alter reality. They're supposed to use it to bring the darkness or whatever. But how is that, like, altering people's perception of reality? And I was like, that literally does not show the power of the stone at all. Well, and now, please correct me if I'm wrong, but you actually just brought something up that I didn't even think about until this exact moment. But it's a stone when Thanos puts it in his gauntlet, but they preach this entire film that it cannot be in a, it has to be in a liquid form. So what are we doing? I, I mean, yeah, like even to your point, like, so Thor tries to destroy it when they're on the Dark Elves realm, which name currently escapes me, but they're, you know, there and he tries to you know, destroy it, and it does crystallize. When right. Malekith gets it, you hear it clanking like, you know, shards of glass. When you see it. So it clearly crystallizes, yeah. but then it goes back into, like... A liquid form. Yeah, like, yeah. whatever it is. And it almost seems to be a living being. The way it, like, protects... And um, you guys can't see this, but I'm using air quotes. You know, it protects Jane because she's the host or it, like, you know, goes towards Malekith or, like, whatever. Yeah. It seems to be living. I'm sorry, but none of the other Infinity Stones have anything resembling, although I, actually you can maybe say that about the Mind Stone, but other than the Mind Stone, have nothing even remotely resembling some sort of, like, living element to them. Or, right. like, idea that they're, like, you know, sentient or conscious. So that, to me, was, like, really odd. Well, and then that even just, just to go back to the main overarching issue and point, this movie explains it that the elves created this, the dark elves created this, and it was their source of power. And I could understand it being a source of power, but then we hear differently. I believe it's Doctor Strange that in the first Doctor Strange, maybe, that this, is it? I can't, I feel like it is, because I feel like when they're talking about the time stone, that's when it's introduced about the stones, and they all, or no, 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 they do say it in Infinity War. And I'm thinking of it because it's Wong. And they're talking about the stones. And so when we get... Don't also they get... I'm sorry, but don't they also get explained in Guardians, I feel like? they. I think they partially do as well. Which is why I'm like, when they're explained every other time, they're not explained the way that they're... And what, what my brain tried to justify it with was, okay, well, the Asgardians do tend to know more as technically the ruler of all the nine realms. And, you know, even when they're at the Collector, they sit there and he's like, as guardians, what do I owe this pleasure? Because they're they're like these higher seen beings. So, which I don't want to get into the the whole thing with the nine realms because that's confusing too. I was going to, yeah. you saw my face. I saw your face. <laughs> I was like, I don't understand. I don't, I don't even want to address it because I'm also confused. But I guess I was just kind of, like, I'm sitting here and I'm like, what... Like, I was trying to justify it that way, because I was like, okay, but maybe Asgard just knows more than what, like, just humans know and what the Sorcerer Supreme knew and all that, because to be fair, the Sorcerer Supreme, yeah, they can go off-world, but, like, they're not Asgardians. So that's how I tried to justify it, but then I was like, so then do I have to assume the Dark Elves made all of them? Yeah, it doesn't make sense, because the creation of one should mirror the creation of all. Exactly. You know? If they're meant to be, like, considered a unit or, 
not, they're not really meant to be considered a unit, but if they're all the same and they have the same, obviously they have different powers, but they have the same general properties in the sense of like what they look like aside from the color and like all of that. So it's like they should, in theory, then come from the same source. I mean, is it? I guess the only thing that I can say as a justification is like maybe the stone already existed. And the dark elves took the stone and created the ether out of the stone. But from the Asgardian perspective, they created the ether because the ether to them is the weapon and the problem. So maybe that's what the Asgardians meant is like, oh, there were like these, you know, these stones that existed before the universe. The dark elves happened upon one and were able to then turn it into a weapon. That's the only way that it makes sense and is then consistent with the way that the Infinity Stones are characterized and explained throughout the rest of the, you know, MCU as a whole. Well, exactly. And and like I said, it even comes down to that, it being a liquid, and they keep talking about how it's a liquid, and then all of a sudden it's just a stone. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, Yeah, like, what does the Collector do with it? Because from the point where Sif and... Volstag, drop it off with the collector. You can see it moving in the canister. Yeah. It's clearly still doing its thing as a semi-liquid form. Right. And then when Thanos comes back for it in Infinity War, it's already a stone. So either the collector created or made it back into a stone or Thanos made it back into a stone after he killed the collector and before the guardians got there. Right, but that's another thing, and I think this is something, this was an issue we had with Captain Marvel at one point, is it's like, you have to fill in the blanks, and it's, and that's not an ideal way to look at these films, is you don't, you shouldn't have to, especially with the Infinity Saga. Yeah. You shouldn't have to sit there and be like, oh, unless Thanos did this, just like I'm filling in the blanks with like, I guess the Asgardians might know more, like, yeah, you know, you you give me that look because you agree. Like, it's just, it, it just doesn't work for me. And so watching the film, realizing that, because I think when I also had watched it over the summer, I don't think I let myself look at it as deeply as I was really attempting to look at it. And uh, I didn't even pick up on any of this. I didn't think about any of it. And then I'm watching it now and I'm like, wait a second, <laughs> this doesn't quite make sense. None of this is making sense. So I wasn't against the Dark Elves storyline. I think it would have been fine. Even if they would have just, I mean, had like the stone itself. Yeah. But because they made it its own, like everything they made it, it just got weird. Like it had it just been a stone and they used it for the properties that we know it to have. I wouldn't have been weirded out by it. But the fact that, you know, they had to do the whole thing with the convergence and stuff. But I'm like, it's a reality stone. You shouldn't need to. He should be able to do really whatever he wants with the power of it. I mean, I get, like, I get the idea that, like, with the convergence, because they were saying, like, his powers then amplified. So that makes sense to me. No, like, oh, okay, that. so if he stands at the conversion point, yeah. like, or conver not conversion point, convergence point, he, you know, is able to amplify the power of the the ether. Okay, cool. I get that. I now understand why you've integrated in the use of the convergence. I also just thought it was like visually kind of cool how they were like talk like showing the different things. So cool. I'm I'm all good with that. I think the thing that I don't understand and the thing that bothers me the most about this is that it's the reality stone, but somehow he's supposed to take all the light out of the universe with it. Like, that's what I don't understand because that's not an illusion. That's not warping the reality that someone is seeing. That's an actual change. Like, you're snuffing the light out of the universe. That is a completely different set of properties and powers that we're used to having from this stone. So I'm like, I don't understand like, that part is the thing I think that sticks out the most to me is, like, not jiving with the rest of the MCU and the, the, the Stones representation in the rest of the movies. Right, and I think that's kind of what I, I think I was trying to say, but maybe wasn't saying it correctly, was, like, the convergent was, Convergence, Jesus, I can't say it either, wasn't the problem, but it was the fact that they brought it in partially because the Stone, I understood, like, oh, they were amplifying his power, but the, it was partially brought in because the stone itself was not the power it was supposed to be, so it was supposed to be completely different, and that's why it had to be the way it was. So, 
plot wise, it's a very weak plot. And actually, and I might get some for this, but in reality, I was not looking forward to this replay episode as much solely because I thought both of these movies were weak plot movies. So this was definitely hard. And I mean, I, I definitely have more to say when we hit Iron Man, but you know, another thing that I was, I, I was just kind of frustrated about, and I can make this little joke, but it's true. This movie is quite literally dark. Like you can't see anything. It's too dark. The entire film is just like, unless it's broad daylight out, it is far too dark. I'm like sitting there. I can't even see Thor on my screen. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and I was like, why, why is it this way? <laughs> I think my biggest thing is that the characterization of the Infinity Stone, right. that's my biggest qualm with this movie. So, oh, I, I have one plot hole, actually. Like, let me let me say the plot hole, and then I'm going to move into things that I liked about it, because there are ma- there are things that I think, mer- you know, deserve merit in this movie, and I yeah. don't want to just sit here and rag on it. I have some good things written, too. Yeah. Cool. But first, I want to talk about my plot hole. Okay, at the very end, when Loki looks like Odin and is pretending to be Odin, he says to Thor, you once said that there would never be a wiser king than me. Loki would never have known in a million years that Thor said that to Odin because he was with Thanos. Okay. He wasn't even on Asgard. So how did he know about that conversation? Okay. Actually, I'm really glad you pointed this out too because while it isn't written on my my notes because I just finished the movie about two hours ago, <laughs> I it's in my brain and I was thinking about this because I, I was sitting there and I was like, obviously, because I've seen the movie before, I'm like, I know this is Loki. But I'm like... But the the way he's talking, and I know it's to keep up a pretense, but I'm like, the way he's talking and the connection he's having with Thor is not something Loki could fake as Odin. And I was like, and how does Thor not realize that's not his father either? Because I was like, everything Odin is saying is some of the wor- worst, some of the best things that Odin as a father has ever said. And so I'm like, there's no way, because it's also all good things aimed for Thor. And it's everything that Odin would say to Thor. I didn't quite put together the, what you just put together, but I also had pinpointed that and kind of was like, this feels weird because I know it's Loki. And then obviously afterwards you see it's Loki, but I'm like, this doesn't work for me. You know, I, I don't know. It was a weird thing. Yeah, like it's a cool reveal if it's your first time watching it. Right. But there's a lot of holes if you know what to expect and you're sitting there listening to the dialogue knowing what characters, you know, in theory really saying it. It's like, you can take it a couple ways, I think. You can either take it as, well, this is how Loki perceived Odin and Thor's relationship his entire life as the constant supportive father, the father who wants the best for his son, but that's not the the Odin that Loki received. So there's like that interpretation or there's the interpretation of like Loki is already on his way to like redemption right he's on the road he's taking the baby steps this is his gift to his brother is giving him the moment of yes Odin says he's proud of him at the end of Thor 1 but Loki's not there for that so theoretically he doesn't know that that conversation happened which is why I'm so upset that he says that exact line because it's like you literally wouldn't have known you were being tortured but In Loki's head, it's possible that he's giving Thor the affirmation that Odin never really gave him as they were growing up. Because I think, you know, some people believe that, like, he was hard on both boys growing up and he was not an easy man to have as a father. And I think that, you know, pretty much bears out. We always call Odin the worst dad ever. So, you know, I think that has some merit. On on other fronts, though, to be fair, because in a lot of the times we see him, he's not inherently a terrible father. He just was not great at especially fostering healthy relationships within the siblings, if that's fair. I mean, obviously then we see more of that in Ragnarok, but he did want the best for all of them, and you can see that. It's just he didn't go about it in a very healthy manner. Yeah, I think that's 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 an important nuance, so I appreciate that. But I think it still then stands to bear, though, that, like, he was probably a pretty tough dad and kind of hard to please. So it's possible that Loki's then giving his brother this affirmation as, like, almost like his gift to him is, like, well, dad never really said this to us growing up. So, like, here's his, you know, here's him saying he's proud of you and giving you the the free reign that you want. So that's a different interpretation. But at the end of the day, whether you interpret it as... 
Loki, you know, Loki projecting what he saw or Loki giving a gift to his brother, it doesn't make sense because it's too Odin-y. Like, it's too much of what Odin said. It's calling back on conversations that Loki would never have known about. Right. So it just, like, does not work and it has too many holes. Right. Well, actually, I have another partial, but it's like a baby thing for me. Because it's not as big of a hole as that. It's not really a hole. It's just kind of a thing that I don't really get. So when we see Loki and Thor, when they're trying to escape Asgard, and they're walking down the hall, and I forget where they're making their way to, but they're walking down the hall, and this is when Loki's playing all the tricks where he's, like, turning him into other people, turning Thor into other people. When Thor was turned into Sif, Thor still had Thor's voice. When Loki turned into Cap, that was all C. Evans. So... How does that work? And then when he's Odin, he has Odin's voice. But when he was also the Asgardian guard, he had his own voice. Because Thor had to look up at him and and he was like, well, it would be better company when he saw him in the garb. But he was still speaking in Loki's voice. But then when he became Cap, he was he had Cap's voice. I just wonder if it's a function of whether or not Loki chooses to change his voice. That's what I'm trying... Because I was like, does that... Is there like a thing with that because I was like he can do it with Odin then but then when he's Cap and I was like this is so weird (laughs) yeah I think it's I think it's a choice on Loki's part and he can control whether he wants to just change how he looks or change how he sounds okay really quick this is just a side note one of my favorite tidbits is that that scene where C. Evans does his cameo is so the way they did it was they had Hiddles do the impression of C. Evans, and then C. Evans do the impression of Hiddles doing the impression of him. And that was how they made that scene. As they should. It was it was a great scene. And it's my fa- it's probably one of my favorite cameos throughout all of them, if I'm being honest. It's so good. I honestly think he is some of the like funniest, because he also has that like really random one in like Spider-Man Homecoming. I was just upset. He he has the best ones because he's not just like a random picture thrown in sometimes on like a TV screen or something. He's like actually like in them. Yeah. So it's pretty interesting. But speaking of just like while we're on the topic, I thought Loki and Thor's relationship in this film was what we got to eventually in Ragnarok. So I didn't love what we saw in the first Thor. Like, I got they were siblings. I get siblings fight. I mean, I think we can both attest to that. But <laughs> <laughs> we may or may not have been fighting before we got on I this call, I was just about guys. to say. <laughs> At the end of the day, it felt very hostile, their relationship. And obviously, you would think almost it went the opposite. Like, it would almost have gotten worse through everything that's happened now. And the fact that Loki obviously feels a sense of guilt also for his mother's death that he now partially attributes as well to the fact that he was in the prison, which just comes down to Thor's fault. So, like, you almost think it should be turning more hostile, and then yet somehow it feels like that relationship they have in Ragnarok, where they're actually brothers, like, when they're fighting on the ship... And he's like, do you actually know how to fly this? And Thor's like, I'm sure I can do it. And he's like pressing all the buttons. He's like, when he's like, which one of us can actually fly? Yeah. (laughs) And he was like, well. And then, like, or even just like his one-liners when like Jane faints and he just goes, oh dear, is she dead? (laughs) Okay, no, my favorite though is when Thor is like smacking it and he's like, "Uh, uh, uh," you know, like brute Thor, right? And, And Loki's like, Tap it, tap it gently. (laughs) (laughs) That entire scene. That's what I mean. Like, I was like, I just everything about the siblingness and all of this, like, yes. So I really loved that in this film because then it, it does make it easier in Ragnarok to love Ragnarok because I think had we gone from Thor 1 to where we were in Ragnarok, I would have been kind of whiplashy. Yeah. Because their relationship the whole entire time in Thor sucked. Like, there was just almost not really ever a good moment where you could tell that these two had grown up with each other and somewhat cared about each other. Even Thor towards Loki until he started to kind of try to redeem himself. But for a while, they had no relationship that was positive. So I I liked seeing that on this screen. That was definitely positive for this film and helped save what became Ragnarok. Not that Ragnarok had any issues, but I should say helped... Ragnarok save 
the Thor franchise, <laughs> essentially. And earn them a fourth movie, an unprecedented fourth yes, movie. Exactly. But while we're on topic of Loki, I have I only have two more notes, but I, this is one of them. So how did Loki live? Okay, I was thinking about that. I have a theory. I think that the Loki... So I think Loki stabs... I, they give the guy a name, and I can't remember. The guy who did the... He's the cursed. Yes. Thank you. That he stabs him, and I think that's real Loki, but I think by the time he turns around... It's a clone. Okay. I think he stabs... Although I don't know how that works, because Loki's clones usually aren't material. That's what I mean. Somewhere, somehow, at one point, Loki clones himself. That's my theory, is that one of them, he has to have cloned himself. Yeah, but at all times, like, I would be fine with that if he wasn't being touched. But because he's being touched by the curse as he's being, like, stabbed... And then when Thor is over his body, he is touching him, he cannot be an illusion. That's the only problem. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't. I just was like... I know we live in the age of Loki lives, except then he doesn't do a neck snap, but whatever. Okay, don't even, because I have been such a Loki stan, and I, five minutes into a video that when that mean happened... I still can't be annoyed... I was Truthfully, like, I'm it just does not I was fit five, the character. I was five minutes into that movie and I was crying already, and then it only got worse. Um, <laughs> but I just, it felt very weird because it was like, I could understand how he lived through Thor, like the first Thor, but I didn't understand this one because, I mean, unless he like faked his death and then just kind of was like, oh, I'm fine, I healed myself, but also like he was aggressively stabbed. So, I don't know. It, it felt weird because I didn't understand it. But that was really my my last big complaint. My Because the other complaint is just, Jane's okay. But I really like Thor and Sif. And I wish we would have gotten that. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. No, I agree. And I was like, throughout this movie, I just kept thinking about how she's taking over the mantle of Thor. And I was like, I'm not excited. Yeah. <laughs> like, I wanted... I really wanted to be like, oh my gosh, Jane's amazing, and, you know, I'm excited for her to take on the mantle. And I think she's brilliant, yeah. and I give her that, and I think that's amazing. I respect the heck out of how intelligent she is, but she's not a dynamic character to base a franchise off of, and I'm worried that that's what Love and Thunder is going to be. Well, and to be fair, and this is something I think a lot of people pointed out after Ragnarok came out, is when you remove the unneeded love interest, it does very well. And unfortunately, from the get-go, Jane was an unneeded love interest. So it was just, like, he didn't need Jane to be a love interest to be a better person in the first film. And... I, I know this is so stupid, but I'm like, of course, out of billions and billions of people on Earth, Jane is the one to get the ether put inside of her. Like, I know it's, like, so stupid, but I sit there and I'm like, of course. <laughs> like, yup. <laughs> so, I don't know. I just kind of was like, it, it just felt unneeded. And then when they kind of tried to create the Sif, Jane, and Thor love triangle awkwardly in this film, and I was like, but him and Sif have better chemistry Thousands than him and Jane. of years. Yeah. Like, they have all that history and they have better chemistry than him and Jane do. So I also don't really love that she's going to be the new Thor just because I don't love her character. Um, And I also, with, that, with her not being in Ragnarok, it didn't, like, she doesn't feel as important anymore well yeah and i mean this is getting slightly off topic but i do just want to you know talk about it for a second one thing that i was thinking about was how are they going to bring her back yeah you know like so the the storyline in the comics is that she gets cancer she dumped thor how is he going to find out that she has cancer like do they still have people you know mutual friends like what's going you know what i mean like and then is he just going to take her you know go back to her like you know I just don't understand, I guess, is my thought process. Like, is she going to take him back? Like, I don't, I don't get it. Well, and Thor's been through a lot more at this point. He's now lost fully his home, fully his brother. And now we have Valkyrie, who's, like, living up life, and she's a great person. So I'm, like, not, like, in a love interesty way, but just, like, as someone there for Thor. So I'm, like, where are we going to get this? <laughs> So yeah, it's a valid. Well, and then they're also 
they're also potentially bringing Jamie Alexander back as Sif. Yeah, which I'm okay with. So it's like, is it a love square? <laughs> I'm okay with I'm okay with her coming back as Sif because that's that's an easy thing that you can be like she was like snapped or like whatnot. Like there's a lot of like you know what I mean. Yeah, but Ragnarok. Like where was she during? On assignment. The we only saw like one or two of his of of the his yeah. Group. We saw Hogan and. Was it Fandral? No, Volstag. Yeah. So she could have been out on assignment and then been snapped not long after that. I mean, she might have been on her way back. I mean, if Asgard was destroyed, she would have been stranded. There was no Bifrost. So, I mean, writing them back in isn't the problem for me. I'd love them to come back. I love that group. And I said that when we saw we were talking about Thor. I wish they would just settle on a fan role, though, an actor. So it's, like, not a different guy every movie. Like, I would, I mean, I thought Josh Dallas was better, personally, than Zachary Levi. So, like, bring Josh Dallas back. Yeah. Like, that's fine. Yeah. I mean, and it also feels a little disconnected at this point because Darcy's been in Darcy's world with WandaVision. Eric's been non-existent, so are we bringing back, like, well, how are we doing this? Like, you kind of, at this point, I feel this franchise started to move away from these characters, and now there, so at least Jane's coming back. Darcy's still involved in the MCU, so I wouldn't be surprised if she has a presence here. So, it, it'll be interesting. Moving into something we don't need to worry about anymore, Iron Man 3. <laughs> Sorry to all you Iron Man fans, it's just a fair point. Um. <laughs> really quick, I'm so sorry. Can we go back? What? There's one more thing I wanted to say about the Dark World. Okay. I never. I don't know that I never really thought about this before, but I was incredibly struck the moment that Loki, quote unquote, dies when Thor lets out that like scream of anguish. I just thought that was so well done. I don't know it, for whatever reason that really struck me. Like that performance by Chris Hemsworth, I thought was really really good. And it made me think about how, like, you know, Thor started the day, and he had a dad, and he had a mom, and he had an annoying little brother in jail, and then he ended the day, and his mom was dead, and so was his little brother on a random planet, and I was like, dang, like, that's, like, 50% of your family literally demolished in one day. Like, that's really upsetting, all because your girlfriend decided to go get attacked by some thing she didn't understand and get it inside her body, and now your mom and your brother are dead because they were protecting her. And I was like, dang, if I was the girlfriend, I would literally feel so bad for killing half your family. <laughs> no, I was thinking about that as I was watching it. I was like, Jane, this is a bad look, because you met his family and killed half his family in the same day. Like, no wonder Odin hates her. Yeah, like, I would too. Sorry, we can go to Iron Man now. Okay, now, Iron Man, I got a list for. I'm gonna be honest. Because I had questions, and I also had things to point out. Because this movie, the problem here with this movie, well, there's a lot of problems with this movie, but one of the problems with this movie is now we have Shang-Chi, which creates some issue with some of this movie's plot. <laughs> And the whole use of the Ten Rings and the Mandarin and all of that. So the storyline itself feels slightly disconnected because I also think we have, like, I get the whole, the Mandarin's supposed to be Killian's face, like the face of who it all is. But because of the connection to the Ten Rings and we now know the Ten Rings is still a functioning organization and all of that, it creates a disconnection throughout the entire film. And don't get me wrong, I love Trevor, but it creates a massive disconnection, <laughs> which is probably my, from the start, biggest issue. And then moving into it, what the heck are the extremist things? And why is this a storyline? And why do they come back in Shang-Chi? Like, why is Shang-Chi so connected to this movie? Yeah. It's very odd to me. We do not see them again. So the, it's it's very clear that this movie takes place in... 2012 or 2013 mm -hmm. because they say 12 or 13 years later when he meets the scientist woman whose name is currently not in my brain and Killian. Oh, yeah. And they say 12 years later or 13. And so they met in, you know, 99 going into 2000, right? On mm -hmm. New Year's. So it's either 2012 or 2013. I would say, by guess, end of 2012, right? That's my guess. So... Shang-Chi takes place in, what, 2023, right after the blip, yeah. somewhere abouts. That is 11 years later, 
We have heard not a single thing about an extremist or any sort of thing related to that since then. There may have been something about it in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I don't know, there's something prickling at the back of my brain. But that is, you know, outside of the MCU for now. Yeah. We're not considering an MCU because Kevin hasn't come down with a final ruling. So, other than that, not a peep. And then all of a sudden there's some guy in a fighting ring. I just don't get it. And I know we're not going to, you know, I don't want to talk about Shang-Chi here, but it's just, to your point, there's a lot of connections between these movies and it's a little odd. Yeah, and and like I said, it feels that because of what Shang-Chi does, and Shang-Chi, this is not anything against that movie. That is not at all. That's a perfect movie. Um, (laughs) We love that movie. But because of its storyline, it partially works to undo part of Iron Man's. And not even just this film, but even the first one, because of the Ten Rings being, like, because then you have to be like, so has the Ten Rings always been fake? But then now you see Shang-Chi, so now it's like, no, they were just using it. But then it was like, okay, it just felt all over the place. Yeah, and I think you and I had this debate when we talked about Shang-Chi after we'd seen it. You know, in the first movie, is that real or is it fake? Because... You know, the way he's phrased, the way Shang-Chi's father is phrasing it in the movie is open to interpretation. Yeah. And I wanted a definitive answer about whether or not he was directly responsible for creating Iron Man because they were very clear about the state of the union in, you know, Iron Man 3, and that was a total smoke and mirror show. Right. Cool. I wanted that same level of confirmation about Iron Man 1, and I didn't feel like I got it. Again, I don't want to talk about, you know, turn this into a Shang-Chi, you know, discussion, but there is a lot of parallels here. So I think, you know, we would be very remiss in talking about this movie without kind of talking about its later on connections. Right. And that's why, and like, because of that, and now Iron Man 3 has its own problems just from the get-go. Like I said, the whole extremist, like, storyline is a little out there compared to what we've seen with Iron Man. And I think they went with a different direction where it wasn't like, you're a dad, you're a dad, which was the first two. Yeah, truly. And it was about, you did this. But it also felt really disjointed from the other two. Because, to be fair, we sat here and we saw, oh my gosh, why am I, bl- Obadiah. <laughs> I was like, why? Well, I almost called him Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> I'm not even going to lie to you. I don't even watch Star Wars and I almost called that. But we see Obadiah and really the villain of that is him and then he's in the suit. Even then the second movie is all about the machines and everything, which all makes sense to Tony. And then it's like, fire people. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And I know... I know that AIM is, like, really big in the comics and, like, they're a major organization. The same way that, like, in Iron Man 2, Hammer Industries is also... So I get that they're, you know, trying to bring in some of the... Let me just take a step back. I think that in the comics, there's, like, two types of villains, right? There's, like, your super villains who, like, either made themselves weird or had an accident and got weird, a la Doc Ock, right? He's the poster child, okay? Green Goblin, same guy. I was gonna say, I was like, you gotta say Green Goblin, come on. Yeah, Poster yeah. child of the century, that one. <laughs> yeah, well, I just didn't want to go two Spidey villains, but they were on the top of my brain. So, you got those guys, right? And then I think you have the evil corporations. So you have the Ames of the world, the Hydras of the world, the Rocks Corp. Rocks on, Rocks on. There we go. I knew it was, I have something to say about that later. So I was like really upset that I, okay. But I also have another thing that I don't think you're going to talk about because you haven't watched that particular show. But so what is that? Rocks on? I'm like blanking now because I'm so excited. Yes. You have the Roxons of the world. And I think because Tony is so tied into the whole like, industrial world and like that's where he made all his money they try to really bring those guys in because it's more of a natural fit so i do understand bringing in aim because it makes a lot of sense you know here's an evil corporation fighting a guy who is the face of a corporation whether or not he's still the ceo because very clear at this point that pepper's in charge she knows what she's doing but i agree that the extremists idea is a little odd it's also odd that pepper then gets it because it's completely like it has zero consequences because he immediately undoes it it has no ramifications on her long term 
I will say, though, the scene where she's falling, I was like, oh, my God, Gwen, oh, my God, MJ, I was like, that falling scene, they've done it before, and here they do it again, but she's not caught this time. I mean, just like, you know, Gwen. Well, she technically was caught. (laughs) I mean, she caught herself from the ground when she, you know, brought her body back together using the extremis. I don't even want to think about what was happening in that fire. Yeah. But, like, and, and I get bringing a name, and that's not the problem, but it's kind of the problem for me that they brought them in in his third movie, knowing he wasn't getting another movie. And it was the premise in which they brought them in. Because I think if they would have brought a name in a more... I mean, Tony built weapons. Hammer built weapons. So if they would have... And I get, like, oh, this was supposed to be kind of... They were, like, the people were a form of a weapon. But it was, like, what else does AIM do? Because then all of a sudden... AIM was in charge of taking care of the Iron, well, War Machine, but the Iron Patriot, like, redoing and all that. So, like, there is that component of them that very clearly does the weapon-based things as well. So, had we gotten a little bit more of a better introduction into that, the biological concept of it and the extremist part of it probably wouldn't have felt as awkward. But all of a sudden, you just had people blowing up. And my least favorite line which, and I, I, this is kind of getting brought back into the slight Mandarin thing, but I gotta say real quick, is like probably 10, 15 minutes into the film, and Tony's t- giving like a, a little synopsis as like a narrator over some things, and then he goes, and then I turned on the TV, and it was like the terrorist thing. And I was like, but this feels also disconnected. This feels really awkward. You just fought space aliens. Yeah, and suddenly, I was having the same thought, like, you just fought aliens from another planet, another universe, whatever, I don't even understand, and then you went through a wormhole, you have PTSD from the wormhole, but you were, I mean, don't get me wrong, terrorism in all forms is literally the worst thing ever. Of course. Like, nothing against how awful terrorism is, but just in this context, I'm gonna say, and a terrorist is what keeps you up at night? Like, that to me, to your point, like, just felt very odd considering where he'd been, and now they expected him to go fight terrorists again, and I was like, but he just fought alien soldiers from another planet. Again, terrorism is awful. In the context of the MCU, there are maybe bigger, bigger things going on. Well, right. And I mean, like, we see those even bigger things happen in Thor. Even for Cap, his his second film is so important with the fall of S.H.I.E.L.D. And it continues his first storyline with Hydra. So, completely makes sense. But even from Iron Man 1 and 2, this movie just is like off because iron man one starts maybe as the terrorist issue because of him being taken but very quickly becomes personal versus this one like they tried to make it personal but it just felt weird and it didn't feel like it was fitting well because it it just felt like they were like this works and this works and this works and we're gonna make it all one storyline and i think them all together didn't work and that was the problem but If I want to break it into a little bit, let's break into this film. First off, is the guy at the beginning at the banquet the guy from the cave in Iron Man 1? Yes, it is. Okay. It is. I thank God. It was a little Easter egg, but yep, it's him. I was like, I can't be going crazy. I had to point that out and bring it up. Second, how does Pepper know Killian? I mean, doesn't she say, like, he, like, comes in everyone? Like, I mean, she worked for Stark, you know, so. Yeah, but she clearly hadn't seen him in a couple years. Because Right. Well, she's been CEO for how long? But still, I mean, the way she says it, and she she said she used to work with him. Where? Well, she had a life before Tony, I'm sure. Right. But I'm just saying, theoretically speaking, it's like, this is not really explained. Like, we see his connection to Killian. That's an obvious, like, thing. Okay, whatever. He did what he did. He doesn't even remember the guy, really. And somehow, out of nowhere, she knows Killian, but... She doesn't know the botanist lady, whose name I don't know. I'm not going to lie to you, don't know her name. So she doesn't know her, but she's directly been with Killian since pretty much that New Year's night because they met up and blah, 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 and the rest is history. So I'm a little confused. That Like, that was a little weird on how Pepper knew him. And I know, to your point, oh, Pepper had a life before Tony and working for Tony, but I also said that that's another thing that you have to be like, okay, well, you have to kind of fill in those blanks because I don't really know what she was, like, what was she doing? She was only an assistant before, you know? Like, she wasn't some CEO at another company that I could have expected her to know him. So it felt weird. That's fair. 
Like, I, I have one big qualm about the movie, and I, I will go into it later because it's pretty much just an overarching, just, like, thorn in my side that, like, I can't get over because it's about the entirety of the film. So this, to me, feels like, you know, small potatoes in comparison to my qualm, but I'll let you keep going, and then I'm going to come over and put a bow on all of it about why this is one of my least favorite MCU movies. Okay, I got a couple more points then. <laughs> Quick, but have to be said. This one's just, as someone who, like, looking at a relationship point of view, I love how Tony opens up to her about his issues, about his PTSD. And granted, it was, I'm sure it's terrifying to have an Iron Man suit wake you up in your sleep, but she was already awake. But she gets mad at him. I was like... Oh my god, like, he he's literally having, like, nightmares about going into a wormhole, and granted, he didn't tell her yet what the nightmare is about, but he's clearly having a nightmare, and he called the suit in his sleep because he felt so threatened that he had to call the suit. The suit did not hurt you, it pulled your shoulder, because <laughs> it pulled you away from Tony. I had a similar, a very similar reaction, I was like, wait a minute, she's angry at him, like, he's clearly going through it right now, and, you know, I get that that might scare you, that, like, this large metal beast that could definitely kill you, you know, came at you, but, like, it came, the guy's clearly just, like, not doing well. Like, I don't know. For me, I was like, maybe we should start talking through our problems <laughs> instead of going downstairs. Yeah, I was like, wh- where was this? <laughs> like, I was like, Pepper, you're not typically a bad girlfriend. I will say that. For having Tony Stark as your boyfriend, okay. She's a saint. Yeah, but I was Most like, this was, this was a low moment for you because <laughs> this was not it. So that was that was a, just a general qualm. That had nothing to do with the film. I just kind of was like, Pepper, come on. <laughs> do better. Yeah, right? This one's also related to Pepper once, and you kind of brought this up when she turns into an extremist. Extremist? Extremist? How come she's a ninja all of a sudden? Because this made no sense. All those other people were like vets. So I was like, they've had some degree of training. You don't know some of these people could have been special ops. I mean, like, they were clearly infantry because they, if they were being injured, most of the time they're part of front lines. So I was like, how do you, all of a sudden, you're like, ninja? <laughs> I was like, yeah, when she, like, kicks the little, like, rocket from oh the God. Iron Man suit yeah. and then blows it up, I was like, you've maybe seen Tony do it once. Tony, who has Years of experience in the suit, and also knows the tech because he built it himself. Yeah. His company sell. I mean, I get that you, the company, your company sells the tech, but you're not, I don't want to say she's not the brains behind it. She's not the brains behind the R&D department, right? Right. She's the brains behind the company, 100%. But when it comes to R&D, that's all Tony. Nobody knows that tech better than Tony. Tony's been in the suit for years, and he does that move. You pick up the suit twice in one movie and you're like let me blow this bomb up in your face like what absolutely i was like no absolutely not yeah i that just was like a bothersome moment for me i did really appreciate the the moments in which we kind of got the foreshadowing of pepper eventually being in a suit yeah i thought that was pretty cool but then i have i got two more quick things i wish we got more of the suits he built some pretty cool suits there, and we we got them for 20 minutes in the film blown up. I was really mad about that. Can I also, I think I might say what you're about to say. When she is so happy, he when he blows up the suits for her, I was like, Pepper, this is, I think, another low moment for Pepper. How are his suits really affecting you? If he chooses then to not spend as much time on the suits, that's fine. Why does he need to blow them up? Something that he clearly loves. Like, when he's hugging her, he looks genuinely sad because he believes that the suits are a part of him. And I get that the point of the movie is that he's, like, learning to separate himself from the suit, but you can still see that it still affects him emotionally, and she looks so happy. I'm like, can you read the room? Like, this is something that's clearly very difficult for your partner and has no direct impact on your life should he choose to not focus his time on them moving forward why does him having the suits bother you well and it's not like he's not not being iron man um and it's also not like those suits didn't just save your life (laughs) so i'm a little confused as well that was that was the definite this was not pepper's moment yeah like this was not her her movie at all as far as girlfriend points, low. 
personally. <laughs> I'm calling it like a two, and she usually sits at a nine. Yeah. So yeah. this is not a good moment for Pepper. Yeah, I agree. But my last thing comes to what I think we kind of mentioned before, the whole rocks on oil getting brought up. And I know you have stuff to say about that, so I'll give you the floor. Oh my god, thank you. I have so many things to say. One, ro- was it Roxmart in Loki when yes. they first meet Sylvie? They're back. I told you, I think we may have said this in the episode. I don't know that we talked about Iron Man 3 because at the time I hadn't watched Iron Man 3 in quite a while because, and I'll get to this later, it is one of my least favorite MCU movies. So I don't actively go out to watch Iron Man 3. So I think I forgot about this particular reference, but what I had talked about in that episode of Loki or our episode about that episode of Loki, meta, is that... Rocks was it? Oh my god! Why do I keep forgetting rocks? Cor- rocks on. There we go. Rocks I like on. keep wanting to call it rocks corp. I don't know. I'm like this sounds wrong. Kind of like Oscorp and rocks on mixed together. Well, I do think there's an a rocks corp. I do think there's a. I think there's like some interchangeability here. But okay, good. So I'm not crazy. We'll come back to you guys on whether that's real. But but it is referred to rocks on in this film. Yes. The what I immediately thought of when it was first referenced in Loki, was Cloak and Dagger, which is one of those shows that kind of exists outside of the MCU. I'm hoping that it is canonized in one of the many multiversal ways that is possible now, because if you haven't checked out that show, it's really good, and maybe they'll bring it back. Although, quite honestly, I kind of want the guy who plays Cloak... I had to think about that for a second. The guy who plays Cloak to play Miles Morales... He is one of my two picks for Miles, so if they don't bring him back, you know, as Cloak, I forget their real names in the show because it's been a while since I've watched it. So if he doesn't come back as Cloak, I hope he's Miles, but, you know, it's a really, really good show, so if you guys haven't checked it out, last time I checked it was on Hulu, really, really good. But they were actually created by something, there was like an explosion at a Roxxon or Roxcorp, they might actually call it Roxcorp in the show, I don't remember, but it's, you know, you kind of get that it's the same entity, and that's what actually creates them and their powers. So I was like, oh my god, that show, you know, like, that has a cool callback. And then later Loki, you know, makes that reference as well. So I actually would love to see more of Roxxon come back. You know, I think it's been hinted at here and there, but I would like it to see it take a very prominent role as an actual, like, big bad institution in a movie. I think that'd be really cool. I'm not exactly sure, you know, what particular heroes are most often in, you know, comics with them or are often facing them, but whoever it is, I hope they're still in play because I would really like to see this corporation come up as a, you know, as a big bad for a movie because I think there's a lot of really big storytelling room there and I really want to see it. Right. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to see on that one. I mean, considering it's been getting mentioned, I don't know if it's getting mentioned just for the fun of it or if it's more so moving towards, hey, something else is getting brought in. I will say I think since Cap and then once the conclusion of Iron Man, which we're obviously talking about, they're mo- they have been moving away from that bad organizational kind of thing. And if anything, if we were to see something, it could be like, and I would like it to be more related to Oscorp because I think that'd be funny. Now that <laughs> now that Peter knows everything he knows and knows Oscorp is the worst thing ever to bring it into I'm this pretty universe. sure he'd fly off the handle in a blind rage. Yeah, so I'm all for that. But <laughs> go into why you don't like Iron Man three. I, I need to hear it all. <laughs> Okay, this, and I've been saying this for years to anyone who asks me how I feel about this movie. First off, I do want to say, when I took a step back and just removed my feelings from it for a moment, I did actually genuinely enjoy watching this movie. I think as a standalone film, it's entertaining, it's funny, it's RDJ, as Tony Stark, how can you not like it, right? So I don't want it to come across as like, I hate this film, I think it's a bad film. I don't. I think it's a standalone film. It's good. And I say standalone many times because that is the emphasis of the only reason this movie works is as a standalone film because it does not one, and I will tell you, not one singular thing to do anything to advance the Infinity Saga at all. It makes references to things that happened in the past. Obviously, it talks about the Avengers and Tony's PTSD from going in the wormhole. You have Bruce come in so you know that they're now friends. Cool. Great. 
What else does it do? Absolutely nothing. It does zero things to advance the larger MCU plot. And to me, that is a wasted opportunity of a movie that you just made. I just watched this movie for two hours and you're telling me you couldn't do one single thing to advance the larger plot. That to me is just a waste. And like I said, it's a good standalone movie and it's enjoyable to watch as outside of the MCU, yeah. but it does not jive with the rest of the MCU or where, you know, it's going as a whole. Well, and I think, I don't, I don't want to say I disagree and I don't want to say I agree. I can say that I think its biggest crux is that there's not even an end credit scene that references anything. So while the film itself, it's like, okay, whatever, like, guess we can just manage it doesn't do much to your point it doesn't do much and then when you add in that there's not an end credit scene that references anything to what has happened well there's only one yeah and it's just the one where bruce is his therapist i was yeah. like so you're only gonna give me one when i'm used to two well at that time that was still a little iffy though to be fair well right but i think i think up until this point they've all had you know they all pretty much had two you know we're probably what five or six movies in at this point if you're talking release order not timeline order right and i think almost all of them have had two so at this point audiences are starting to be trained to expect two so you're giving them one and not only are you giving them one but it's a dud in terms of like excitement level like yeah it's funny yeah it's entertaining that's great that's great as like a mid-credit, but when I'm expecting two and one's kind of duddy, because there's usually one that's better than the other, let's be real, give me a dud, but then give me something amazing as the end credit scene. And for you to give me one end credit scene and then be like, oh, it's, you know, the fun fact, it's him, you know, at, you know, using Bruce as a therapist this whole time, it's like, great, but like, now what? Well, and to be fair, even without it having the stones and anything in it, the problem really, if you want to boil this down, you kind of talked about it a little bit. Uh, well, we in general talked about it a little bit with the suits was that the whole thing is that everybody loses something in their trilogy, right? And even down to, we just saw it in No Way Home. I mean, Peter loses everything essentially except being Spider-Man. That's the only thing he has anymore. Cap, we see him lose the Avengers as a team and we see him lose the shield, which is the representation of who he was. We obviously see Thor lose his hammer and then it eventually, and then throughout the film, because that happens early instead of at the end as it does in Cap, we see him come into his own and establish he doesn't need a weapon. He is the power. He himself is the power. But he also loses Asgard. So like that's another yeah, big thing. Yeah. And to be fair, do the Russo brothers completely decide to undo everything that was happening in Ragnarok? Yes. And we'll get to that when we get to Infinity War, especially because I've got words. But especially about Thor's character arc in the Infinity and Endgame, <laughs> I've got a lot of words about that. But my issue with this when I say all of that is that Tony, everyone's like, oh, he gives up his suits. Not really. Because he's still Iron Man and he still has his suits and he still clearly works on suits because we see it all in Infinity War and in Age of Ultron. He's got new suits. He works on Peters. He's clearly doing them. So it, what does it mean? Not only is he creating his own suit or like making himself suits in Age of Ultron, he creates the Iron Legion. Yeah. Is it not what he had with the house party protocol, it's the exact same thing, except they're just not suits for him. Exactly. So that is my, even if it doesn't come down to, oh, there wasn't a stone in this movie. Oh, there wasn't a this, there wasn't a that. My issue is he didn't lose the suits. It didn't further him as a character because he didn't lose. What, and like, okay, I know some people can argue, well, when he goes into the mansion, he doesn't have a suit, blah, blah, blah. But then he gets captured. And the only way he gets out is with a suit. So it just didn't do much. And I don't think you necessarily have to have the stone in order to advance the greater MCU. Like, I think, you know, Winter Soldier is a fantastic example. There's not a single stone in... <laughs> I knew you'd, I knew you'd be excited. But there's not a single stone in Winter Soldier, but it completely destroys S.H.I.E.L.D., which then has major implications exactly. for Civil War, which has major implications for... Infinity War, yeah. I mean, there is a direct line, too, between the Winter Soldier and Infinity War, yeah. because I'm sure if S.H.I.E.L.D. was there, they would have at least had some cover and at least had some backup that they did not have before. So, like, you cannot tell me that that does not affect the rest of the MCU going forward, because it 100% does, 
Stones be darned. It does not need a stone to do that. Yeah. You do not need a stone in order to advance the MCU. Iron Man 3 just said, MCU? We're just going to pretend Tony's the only hero because that's pretty much what it was like the first well, two times. And actually, and I, I know we are on a great point here and I don't want to take it from it, but you just reminded me something that I wanted to point out as well. Well, if this is a terrorist issue, why is Tony the only one reacting to it? Which was another issue I had with it. Was, why is Tony the only one who's, oh, this is bad. Which is why there's this big disconnection taking us all the way back from the beginning of this conversation. So, yeah. The film itself, I didn't feel like was furthered him as a character. Because what did it establish? That he'd do anything for Pepper? Like... That's really what it was. He didn't blow up his suits for himself. I'm sure he wouldn't have wanted to. And the suits, to your point, the Iron Legion, all of that, Hulkbuster, all of that comes in the very next film we see him in. He clearly didn't give up on doing any of it. So it's frustrating to see when, to your point, the Winter Soldier and then Civil War, what Cap does in his films to very clearly further everything. I mean, even his first film furthered everything. All of Thor's, while they were good or not, furthered everything. Iron Man, the first one, it was just an origin, and that's okay. You can have just an origin. His second one didn't really further anything. Well, it introduced S.H.I.E.L.D., so I that's think fair. it did okay. in that that's sense. That's fair. And the Avengers Initiative. That's okay. So I'll, I'll give it yeah. that. Okay, I was thinking, like, bigger plot, but that's fair. Okay, so S.H.I.E.L.D. introduced, but then we do have the problem of this one. And we get, like, one snippet of him saying, like, pull everything from here, 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 S.H.I.E.L.D. database, like, you know, we get that. Okay, the suits are blown up. He builds more. Uh, like, it just, for especially for the end of a trilogy, it was very weak. And then for its part in everything else, to your massive point to this story here... It was also very weak. It did nothing for the person who technically created all of this from the get-go. He started this. And his trilogy ending and his contribution to the greater whole didn't happen here. Yeah, and I think that brings up a good point. Like, you often see those things online where they're like, who has the best trilogy? And I think that's a layered question because Cap obviously comes out of the gate strongest. I th- No, sorry, Iron Man comes out of the gate strongest. That's, I mean... It's such a good movie. It just is so good. <laughs> you know, and people really like, obviously, Cap's second movie. They really think that he has, I think, you know, that's kind of the general consensus. And then, obviously, Ragnarok just is incredible. I mean, I, I quite love Civil War, so I think Civil War is, like you know, Civil also War, really strong. Yeah. But you're taking Iron Man 3 up against two of the strongest movies in the MCU in Civil War and Ragnarok, and it literally doesn't even pale in comparison. It's, like, non-existent. No, and unfortunately, the problem for a lot of the Iron Man films, number one, will stay fairly high up there. Just a lot of it is nostalgia. Agreed. And, you know, he was the beginning. He also just has a pizzazz in that movie that I think is lost later on. Well, because it becomes a lot more pepper-oriented, and that's okay. Yeah. But it, it takes away from who he is because he bends around who Pepper is to him. So we see that, more of that. But... To what I was saying, you know, at the end of the day, unfortunately, as more of these films come out and they're better, (laughs) Iron Man 2 and 3 tend to fall lower and lower in retrospect. And it would be one thing to say Iron Man 1 does it, but it really doesn't. But it would be because it was the first one. There was no blueprint. That that was Marvel's send-all, really. But that one doesn't fade. The problem is the other two do. And... They don't have an excuse because when you have, you know, even the first cap is not a weak film. No. And so when you have other films, even the Avengers team up coming and they're doing these things that are so much bigger and they're as movies so much stronger and you're watching Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 3, they're paling even to the movies that were coming out around them, let alone to the movies where we're at 10 years later and they're slam dunks. So it definitely was a weaker film. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think, like I said, that's that's my biggest qualm. Whenever people talk about Iron Man 3, I, like, fly off the handle. I'm like, I don't know how you can say that's the best Iron Man. I don't even know how you can put it in your top 10. To me, it is 
at least in my bottom five, yeah. if not my bottom three. Yeah, that's fair. I don't enjoy movies that don't, you know, further the larger MCU. I think you're going to hate me for saying this, but other than introducing Yelena, I think Black Widow has the same problem. And that's why Black Widow is quite low for me. That's a fair thing, especially because of when it came out. I think had it come out when it needed to, it would have furthered with the end credit scene. Mm-hmm. Problem is, is, and it also would have filled in the blank of like, oh, what was Natasha doing? So she wasn't with Steve the whole time. But the whole problem comes down to, and like, like where would she have been? She wasn't arrested like everyone else. Anyway, sorry. But the problem comes down to when it came out. Which is really a problem. Honestly, though, if you're watching this all in timeline order as we're doing the rewatch, this is going to be solid. It's a solid film. Yeah. So (laughs) some of it's hard because, like, the longer you're in the MCU, sometimes the harder it can be to be able to be like, oh, this is a good film. It is a good film. Just not when you've seen everything and you know she's dead. Yeah. And that's why I said, you know, I think Iron Man 3 is a good standalone, but it's not... It's not a good MCU film. It's a good standalone film. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, I am all good on all my thoughts for these two movies. Do you have any last comments, concerns, or thoughts, Katie? I don't think I do. Cool. Well, thank you so much, guys, for joining us for another Marvel Replay episode. Just to recap, we, you know, you know this, but we went through Thor The Dark World and Iron Man 3. And we'll continue to go through the different movies in timeline order in future episodes. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, but you're enjoying the discussions we've been having, please go ahead and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. You can also feel free to give us a rating or a review if you are really enjoying the show and you feel so inclined. You can also check us out and give us a follow on our blog where we have lots of extra content in between shows and as supplements to our episodes as well. And last but not least, we do have a Spotify page with playlists for our different categories and for the different shows and for the movies so if you're ever looking to just kind of binge on one topic you can find different playlists there as well as one big playlist for all of the different songs you can find across the shows and movies in the mcu and make sure you guys are following the twitter it's let's talk mft everything you need essentially is on there so just give it a follow you will get all of the notifications, well, not the notifications, but you see it on your timeline unless you set our notifications for when blogs and podcasts are posted and then any theories or thoughts or really anything we see along with our own will be posted on there as well or retweeted. So definitely go give that a follow. And as always, Marvel just blew your mind. So let's talk about it.